0: Frank Ogle. I am a comic book writer. I've written several books that are out now. Uh, Grief, which came out in 2017 and was nominated in 2019 for a uh, Ringo Award for Best Collection. Uh, Last year's Dead End Kids, which was kind of a small scale indie hit. Um, And then this year I've got No Heroin coming out and a little bit later in the year Dead End Kids 2. Um, So yeah, that's that's who I am. That's what I do.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you today and really get into. Um, honestly, reading your work, I want to know a lot about where these insp- where you where you pull your inspirations from. Um, and and I do want to start a little bit with grief. And um, just touch on it lightly. Is what what was the impetus for putting together that anthology?
0: Money. <laughs> I I I mean I wish I was that that was less true but um when I first started writing comics I started by writing short stories because making comics is pretty expensive yeah. um so doing a 5 or 10 page short story is much more doable when you're first starting out than you know a, a one shot or a mini series or an ongoing or something like that and when you don't know what you're doing like the 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 cost risk is just so much greater um so I started off doing short stories um, and I, I tried like lots of different things like grief is is pretty cross-genre. There's horror. There's sci-fi. There's crime There's there's some some alien stuff in there um, But it, it, it's all character stories like I like telling stories about people going through things and that was sort of like the genesis of everything um, and that's you know sort of deeply rooted in my own personal history um, but after I wrote like, like five or six of the stories that ended up becoming grief and Paid for them. I was feeling it in my bank account, um, and uh, I, I was trying to figure out like a way to sort of try and recoup some of the cost. As like unsexy as that sounds, mm-hmm. uh, and I was like, well, th- these are all fairly similarly themed along the the five stages of the grieving process so i built out the rex uh, the rest of the collection to sort of fit with the the, the tone and the theme of everything else um, got danny martins who's a just an incredible uh digital painter down in brazil to do a, a beautiful cover for it um and put the whole thing together uh just so i could have book to, to put in people's hands and start getting my work out there and, and, and put on Kickstarter to see if I can make a little bit of that money back and roll it into new projects and stuff like that. So it's, it's you know, it was equal parts artistic endeavor and, and financial need, honestly.
1: Well, that makes sense. and it's, it's actually kind of refreshing to hear somebody kind of like break it down like that too. Um, so thank you for, you know, being open. Um, but. Uh, one of the other things and, and if uh, if you're listening to this then you probably follow all the comic reviews on our site and last year uh, Nico got our writer Nico got the chance to review all of Dead end kids and he fell in love with it uh, how was the response around dead dead end kids because you it, I mean, I was seeing it everywhere, even outside of my own site. I saw a lot of a lot of other people picking it up, and then like I saw a lot of other people tweeting about it. Um, so how was that? And if you want to get into a little bit about how Dead End Kids started as well,
0: yeah. Um, I mean, in, in a word, it was honestly terrifying. Um, <laughs> Which, which I think is a response most people won't expect when you've got something kind of successful. Uh, but the, the truth is, like, I go into everything I do with, like, super managed expectations. Um, so, like, I did Grief as a Kickstarter. I did it as, like, a digital-only Kickstarter. And I, I set, like, a really low achievable goal, something I knew that, like, I could, I could do in 30 days. And we ended up, like tripling the goal or doubling the goal and getting funded in like a few hours and 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 like but I've always In spite of like any successes that I've had I've always stayed fairly conservative. with like What what I think is attainable just yeah. as a defense mechanism probably um, So when I wrote that and kids and it got picked up for distribution at source point press um, I talked with Travis McIntyre the editor-in-chief and I was like listen if we if we sell a thousand copies of this that would that would be a home run like that would be like that above and beyond yeah. um first issue alone went on to sell some like seven thousand copies like it just took off yeah. which which on paper is awesome and in reality is awesome too but when you have a book like that and you've never had one like that before and you have these like super managed expectations um some things can start happening that like are unexpected and like can be overwhelming like for instance the book came out Essentially, four weeks after it was supposed well, two weeks after it was supposed to, and four weeks after the initial print run sold out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there's like a lot of hype before the book came out. And, like, I didn't really think much of it, but when the day the book came out, I got calls from East Coast comic shops. Um, I live in San Francisco, so I'm on Pacific time. Yeah. Uh, so, around eight o'clock my time, when shops were opening on the East Coast, I was getting these calls from shop owners, like directly to my phone number, which they shouldn't have had, asking <laughs> me like, if I could get them more copies and, and just, you know, I, I have no role in, like, the supply and demand chain. Like, that's that's Diamond. That's up to the publisher, the printer. Like, I'm the last person who can help anyone out. And, like, these calls didn't stop for, for weeks. Like And still, like, every once in a while, I'll get, like, a Facebook message or a Twitter DM or something like that from a retailer. i be like, hey, you got any copies left? <laughs> so, like, yeah, it was I, I, it was tough. Um, at the same time, like, it was super exciting. And, like, it was really nice to connect with, like other creators and retailers and fans and have like, you know, something that I, I was really proud of be recognized. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I think it's as good as other people. Like, I think Nico was, was easily my biggest fan, and I
1: appreciate
0: <laughs> that, but man, it's, it's so hard to look at your own stuff with like those kind of not uh, analytical eyes. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, uh, I mean, the book is, just like Grief, they're, they're all special to me. Um, this one was sort of uh me exploring uh kind of childhood trauma i had like a pretty garbage uh childhood um both my parents had had drug problems and my dad overdosed and died when i was very young i get into some of that grief um and and like where i grew up was like uh it was a mostly white um uh, beach community in new jersey um but it was very low income um you know a lot of people living below the poverty line um and like in areas like that, things like drugs and and crime, like they don't, you know, they're there and they're part of the idea and like that can have an effect on kids growing up like um and a lot of the kids i grew up with like were affected by the circumstances a lot of them ended up becoming drug dealers or drug addicts a lot of them ended up dying as a result of one or the other um and i just wanted to kind of like ask the question of do the things that happen to and around you when you're young sort of determine or tell you who you end up having to become yeah. um so it's it's um you know, that's that's kind of like the origin story, like, and that's sort of like the kind of thing that starts every one of my projects. Everything is always sort of me reflecting on on something from or around my life. Like all the stories and grief are either things that happened directly to me, sort of storyified, or things that happened to people around me or that I witnessed. And like, sort of just, I don't know, the world's pretty crazy, and I try to find some semblance of, of sanity by, by writing. <laughs>
1: And do you think that that's why so many people resonated with Dead End Kids, kind of seeing uh, seeing themselves in it, or kind of picking up onto the those crazy, that crazy world? I I think
0: that's definitely part of it. Like I don't ever want to like assume anything about anyone who who read it and like their reasons for enjoying yeah. it. Um, but the people who I've had the opportunity to talk to who and it's it's quite a bit of people at this point because um, the book came out close to a year ago now um like a lot of people said that you know this there's the nostalgia angle which which was kind of ironic because i wrote it to be sort of like an anti-nostalgia manifesto (laughs) um but uh but I, I see that. Like I mean, like it takes place in 1999, which around that time I was like just about a teenager, um, and I think a lot of people, you know, we, we've got Stranger Things and we've got that 70s show, and um, I think we don't really have like a coming of age story for like the like the pre and rate post 9/11 crowd yet. Yeah, this is probably the clo- so far the closest thing that I've. I, I know about um, and I think those people are kind of hungry for, for their coming-of-age story So that I think that that kind of helped fuel it. I, I also think like, you know, objectively if I could say this about my own stuff like it's it's a pretty good story. Like it's just mm-hmm. it, it digs into some things that we don't really talk about and um, It's it it can be compelling at times and you know, yeah. like I said, I'm, I'm probably the most analytical person mm-hmm. of it uh, but I, I, I definitely appreciate like in retrospect what I was able to, to, to pin down in the story and in the execution of the story for sure.
1: Awesome. I mean, I uh, I didn't get a chance to read it initially when Nico was reading it, but I was following along with all of his reviews. I mean, because I, I edit them, <laughs> edit them, and I was like immediately hearing the passion that came behind seeing the story unfold. And you know, I don't want to get into spoilers or anything like that. But was there a part of Dead End Kids that you that was either really I guess really moving for you to write it could be it could have been the easiest part the hardest part you know just what about the process of creation with that story hit you the most?
0: And that is that is a, a good question actually like that's one that I've asked <laughs> before. Um, oh, that's good. Uh you know like from a different angle than I think you're asking, I think there's, there's, there's one side of it that, that really sort of affected me, um, as, as a writer and just as a person, like I generally, uh, like to test myself and push myself and like, um, you know, like I, when I go to the gym to work out. Not that I'm a particularly fit guy, but I always try to lift a little more than I did the last time, or do yeah. a few more strides on the elliptical. Um, and and the same is true in my day job, in my marriage, like just every every aspect of my life. I like to be pushing myself. Um, "Dead and Kids" was my first miniseries, and uh, back then I was sort of deciding what I wanted to do in comics. And I, I would like to someday write professionally and full time. You know, for for Marvel, DC, I, other IPs. Um, I've got a few dream ones, um, mm-hmm. but like. That would be the end goal, and, and I know that that can be a pretty taxing lifestyle um, and that not everybody is built for it, and I wanted to see if I was. So I gave myself uh, sort of a challenge when I was writing Dead End Kids to sit and write it in, uh, I want to say I gave myself like 15 days to write the whole thing, yeah. um, but just just a draft, not like top to bottom, like fully polished, but just get bang out a draft. Um, And I ended up finishing it in, like, eight days, I think. Yeah. Um, And and so, like, this this doesn't really answer the question you asked, but I want to talk about it, so (laughs) here we are. (laughs) But um, that was a little bit enlightening in its own weird way because it was, like, the first time that I was writing comics and felt extremely confident about what I was doing, and I think that there was, like, a weird synergy between me and the work that made me put more into the work than I would have had I not sort of Push myself. And that that kind of stuff still happens today. Like, just today, we were talking about this before we started recording, I started writing Dead End Kids 2, the scripting phase of it. And I sat and I wrote the whole script for number one in one sitting. Um, and, like, it's just, it's kind of like building a muscle up, I keep coming back to that gym metaphor, but you, when you start writing comics, you start with short stories, and then you get a little better, you write something a little longer, a longer short story, a one-shot, you build your way up to a mini, and you get stronger, you get faster, you get better at doing it. And, like, I just... Sitting writing today and thinking back on that sort of stress test I did writing Dead End Kids one, like it just it just feels like this is it's always been falling into place and like dominoes one after the other and like yeah. like I have momentum and that that's that's pretty exciting because I feel like a lot of creators can can be down on themselves at time and not feel like that they're making any progress or that they're stalled out and I, I mean and and I think that's all relative and, and subject to sort of point of view but. I, I definitely have had those days. Um, so it's the days I don't feel like that are 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 always, you know, a gift.
1: Yeah. Well, I think you answered that question very well. Honestly, that was I, I like hearing stories about the writing process because I think <clears throat> as as readers and as 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 members of the audience, I don't think we I don't think we get to see behind that curtain enough. So thank you for that.
0: I, you know, I agree with you 100% and like one of my personal mission statements as a creator is to be accessible and open about things. Yeah. Um, one of the things I didn't ask you before we started recording is 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 if I can swear. Oh. Um, not, not, not that I'm a sailor, but like it comes out and like I try not to to censor myself too much and just be yeah. when I record interviews and, and meet fans and stuff like that. Um, just because like like I said, like so many like... I think the best way to, to, to connect with people is to literally connect with them and like let them know who you are. Yeah. Like I work in marketing in my day job, and like so much of it is like personas and and like you know th- these are the things that we talk about and nothing else involved. And like running my you know company Twitter account is just n- mind numbing. <laughs> uh, so I am just very on board with just letting people know who I am. Like this, it's just easier that way. <laughs>
1: Now, leading into your newer projects, so I I know you said you just mentioned Dead End Kids 2. Let's talk a little bit about No Heroin.
0: Yeah. um, So, No Heroin is my new book, it'll be out starting in June. Uh, It's another mini series. Uh, and it is essentially my love letter to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, oh,
1: that makes me so excited. I love Buffy. <laughs> yeah,
0: Buffy was, I, I I am 32 years old, and Buffy came on in 1997 when I was eight years old. And I watched Buffy much too early.
1: <laughs>
0: but it, it had, like, a deeply profound effect on me, like, watching this you know, monster show. Like I grew up watching like I be genie and Bewitched and like the monsters and like other like the X Files with my mom and stuff like that. So like I had like some exposure to stuff like this on like a campier level and, and then the X Files. Um but like Buffy was like you know, it, it it was it was the things I was familiar with, but like told on a different level and, and it was always character first. Yeah. Like, and I'll never really like I don't want to spoil a show that happened. You know, it was on 20 years oh, ago. If if um, it's
1: somebody from our podcast, I have probably spoiled it all the time because I bring up Buffy when whenever I can. So well, we're, feel we're free. Gonna, <laughs>
0: so I remember watching the season two finale um, and you know, just to set the stage. Uh, Angels lost his soul like halfway through the season and he's been a total jerk off the whole time. Um, and he's trying to end the world. Um, and uh willow and company successfully give him his soul back at the last minute but but you know the the hellmouth's opening up and the only way to shut it is with his blood and, and buffy's got she's got this really important moment where she's got to choose you know duty over happiness um and you know she kills angel and closes the portal and saves the day um but it's like a very pyrrhic victory like yeah she saved the day but at like an extreme personal cost and like that's that is so just imprinted on my storytelling. Like, almost every story in Grief has that kind of ending. Um, highs and Lows is one of the stories that I like, guess a very distinct version of that ending. Dead uh, End Kids is a lot like that. Like, you know, the, the end of the book is is both a, a good ending and a, a tragic ending. Yeah. Uh, no Heroin is a lot of the same. And, like, I just, you know, it's, it's like a adult version of what Stan Lee was doing with Peter Parker back in the 60s. 60s. You know, Dr. Octopus Attacks and. You know, Spider Man's got to stop him from robbing the bank. And yeah, he misses his date with Aunt May for her birthday. And now she's disappointed in him. Like, it's he, he won the day, but like at yeah. a personal cost. Um, and I just think that that's like a more honest and, and intriguing way to tell stories. Like, not everything's to be tied up with a bow. Um, yeah. And hopefully that's that's like what's coming across when people read my work. Um, so, no heroine is. Buffy, but if she was a recovering heroin addict. Um, So it it started with like the core concept a young woman who fights monsters, but I like I really tried to twist it around and and do something different with it. So this is this is a woman who Kayla is she's a recovering drug addict, she's 90 days clean, um, but she's doesn't have the tools to to do it all on her own so she relies on other people um and like there's there's like a fine line between asking for help and taking advantage and she always falls way on the other side of the line um and like so like you know she's fighting these monsters she's on a suicide mission to save somebody who she depends on but she's doing it for all the wrong reasons like she's you know she's doing the buffy thing but because she thinks she can't do this without Somebody else's help. Yeah, um, so she's, you know, like the title is a pun. It's, it's, you know, a, no more heroin, like as in, you know, stay clean. But also, she's not a hero. Like, um, yeah. and like, just this, it's like the reverse of the Buffy situation. This is a person who would choose happiness over duty every single time. And we, w- I wanted to sort of see like what would happen if like I sent her down a certain path.
1: So, would you say there's a little bit more faith in her in that way?
0: You know, I never thought of it that way, but that, that that is a fairly good comparison. Like, I'd say that she's broken in, in, in the way, like, Faith is. Like, you know, yeah. Faith is, she she didn't have, like, a strong father figure, and that's why she gravitated towards the mayor. And, um, like, she had, like, a different kind of set of problems that made her the way she is. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like, yeah, so that's going to be my new pitch. It's it's Faith from Buffy, but if she was... <laughs> I'm so glad that I finally talked to somebody who knows their Buffy (laughs) because now complete.
1: Yeah, I mean, because that was, uh, this is going to get off into a Buffy realm, but that was one of the most compelling pieces of Buffy is when you have the other Slayers come into the mix, mainly because faith is what happens when you don't have somebody with a great home life or a supportive parent or somebody who has had to choose for themselves because nobody ever has and so kind of like it you know i exploring that human piece exploring the the weight that choosing duty does i think is is something that is extremely commendable in storytelling especially because it as a reader it reminds me that the person i'm reading about is completely relatable cuz i'm sure we all have experiences where uh where we've made that choice you know?
0: Yeah. 100%. <laughs> um, another, the other angle that I wanted to sort of tackle the story was from is sort of like in like an anti chosen one narrative. Um, you know, Buffy didn't have a choice. She's the slayer. Like, she can reject it all day long, but that doesn't mean she's not the slayer. Yeah. Um, and, like, I. That, that's that's a story that we've seen a bunch of times and like i i don't have any problem with it but it was something i wasn't interested in making another carbon copy of and over the last like year or so i've been watching episodes of uh, shira on netflix over my wife's shoulder um and i've just sort of been interested in like how the the, the shira show goes in a way about like tackling the chosen one narrative in a way where the, you know, the, the 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 protagonist can sort of reject it and it's yeah. it doesn't have to be their defining feature and like that's that's not really what No Heroine gets into but it was sort of the starting point in my mind of like just this is this is a person who fights monsters because for for the wrong reasons not because of <laughs> it, but because she because she's she thinks she's weak and she's literally killing monsters like and showing that she's not weak I just it's just a very ironic take yeah. On it.
1: Um, so why, add, why, why did you choose to add in the addiction piece and how did you write that? Because I know that that's a very, I don't want to say a complicated co- uh, topic, but it's a, it's a very uh, personal topic that I think it sit, hits a lot of people when they read that or when they see it depicted in film, TV, that kind of stuff. How did you approach dealing with addiction in the story? And uh, what was kind of your window into that?
0: Well, you you sort of mentioned a few of them. There's a lot of reasons I wanted to tackle it. I mentioned earlier um, that both of my parents, growing up, had had problems with drugs, and my father had died of an overdose, and my mom really struggled with. Uh, addiction, you know, recovery, relapse—this, uh, the whole cycle—throughout most of my formative years. Um, so it's something that's like near and dear to my life. It's it's very much a part of the fabric who I am. Um, and as I was growing up, um, I had three best friends: uh, my brother Joey, and my brother Harry, and my my cousin Tom. We were all about the same age. You know, we grew up together. Um, and that's the we. The four of us were very much the inspiration for Detta and kids. Um, but uh, as we got a little older into our early teenage years, my brother Joey and my cousin Tom really you know, fell into to, to some hard drugs and, and you know, became addicts. And um, I got like a even more personal sort of front row seat to that kind of stuff and watching them for most of the last two decades now, like it's crazy to say that out loud, but like struggle with, you know being addicted and, and yeah. getting going to rehab get, going to jail getting out struggling to to stay clean because they don't have the resources and they don't they don't know how to you know utilize the tools around them and asking for help and knowing the difference between asking for help and taking advantage and like what ooh, if there is one for somebody so it's just you now these are these are things that have affected me like you know on a personal level very much and um i i, I liked like i they they say write what you know so like i yeah. so I subscribe to that on some level I guess um, the other reason was um, and this is something I don't think I've ever talked about in an interview is but like I I think oh, I've been doing cons for for about two years now going on three um, and I've met a lot of people and and there are, there are a lot of people out there who I've met who have said, You know, like comics and graphic novels and like, you know, sort of subculture type stuff, um, not non-mainstream culture have have been the reasons they've been able to to clean themselves up and stay clean. Um, And and like, I don't know that that was at the forefront of my mind, but like when I was writing Grief, I wrote a book that I wish I had growing up to help me see other people dealing with stuff and getting through it. and having that be out there for people. So, you know, since I didn't have it, I want to make sure other people have it. And, like, on some level, I, I got to imagine, like, that was sort of what was happening here. Like, to, to, I think that the most important thing comics can do is reflect life, and, and that's how people connect with it. And that sounds kind of woo woo, I know, but. Mm-hmm you know if 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 somebody if i sell one copy of no heroin ever which i'm sure i'll sell more than one but if i sell one and it's to the right person and it makes their life a little bit better that that makes it worthwhile like and and that's that's the reason like i write comics i don't really give a crap about money like i'm not going to make a lot making comics and i know that and that's fine um it's not why i do it i do it because i want to additive to the world like there's so much bad stuff um, going on and in in the world and like if I can do just a little bit to to make it a little nicer like that's that's enough for me.
1: I think on that note too uh, especially because I mean like like you've mentioned you know multiple times your your connection with with stories of addiction and, and, and seeing it were there any I don't know like literary tropes that you think stories about addiction get wrong that you were actively pushing back against or um uh, does that make sense
0: (laughs) i I understand the question and i've got the perfect answer actually no i'm kidding um yeah (laughs) uh, so one thing that really irks me about the representation of of addiction in popular culture is that we don't really get a whole view of it um Sort of where I'm sitting in my personal experience, this isn't scientific, but this is this is how I understand it. Um, there are sort of three phases to addiction. There's there's you know the the part where you get involved with drugs and are an addict. There's, you know the addiction phase, and then there's the rehabilitation phase where you go to jail or you go to, to rehab and you get clean and you get counseled. And then there's the third part that we don't see a whole lot in pop culture, and that's the recovery part. Um, I can name you 10 movies about addiction and about, you know, rehab, but I can, I, off the top of my head, I can't name you one about the recovery part. Yeah. Uh, actually, one TV show, there's one called Mom that my wife watches. It's mm-hmm. about an alcoholic uh, woman who's – anyway, um, so I wanted to sort of explore this less explored area of um, of recovery because, like, essentially it's – like. To me, that's it's the hardest part, right? Yeah. So when you're an addict, you don't need structure. Like, the, like addiction is literally a lack of structure, and it doesn't matter if you have structure because that's that's what addiction is. Um, and then what the, you go right from having zero structure to having a hundred percent forced structure, whether you're in jail or rehab. Like it is a rigid system with with routine and and lots of tools available to you, counselors and, and and other people going through the same thing. Um, and then essentially you get released out into the world and like, you know, maybe you have a probation officer or, or like, you know, scheduled visits with a the therapist but you generally have no structure other than what you can impose upon yourself. Like you literally get thrown out to the world, naked. Um, and, and that's something that I've watched with my, my brother and my cousin over and over again. Like they, they do really well in jail and rehab as, as bad as it sounds like they're clean for six months, a year, and then they get out and like, they're able to, to maintain it for a while, but like it's like the, the structure starts to erode without the daily regimen and, and they deal with problems that they wouldn't have on the outside, like finding a job when you're, you know, a, a, a felon or, yeah. or, <clears throat> you know, having to like exile all of your old friends because they still are, are drug addicts and like, and like, just like it chips away at you in ways like that. I think most people don't understand. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to sort of explore the relationship between somebody who's in recovery and and like the world around them so kayla is she's she's um when the when the story starts she's on the eve of her 90th day sober which is like a big milestone in in recovery it's three months um and her friend sid who is kind of her rock he's he's you now a, a, a recovering addict too he's further along he's got structure in his life he's found a way to make it work and she relies on him for An imposed structure to keep her straight um and and he gets kidnapped or goes missing she doesn't know and she's trying to find him and and that sets her sort of up against this gang of drug-dealing vampires um but she's not like she she doesn't want to save him because it's the right thing to do she wants to save him because she thinks she can't get by to the next morning without his help um so Like, it's, she's doing the right thing for all the wrong reasons. Um, So the the first issue is about her sort of recognizing that, that crappiness about herself.
1: Yeah. That's amazing. That's, I'm, I'm really excited to read this, honestly. Um, uh, I, I kind of, I'm actually kind of speechless with that answer. That was a really good answer, and it, it, I'm, as you're talking, I'm kind of thinking about all the times I've seen addiction in its in, in different forms shown. Um, you're right. I really can't think of too many. I mean, especially off the top of my head, and I haven't seen Mom that really tackle that recovery piece um, in detail. So, yeah. yeah. Um, when when can people look out for uh, for no no heroin and uh, dead end kids too?
0: Uh, no heroin will be out over the summer. Um, so we're talking now in the beginning of February, so we're a little ahead of the pre order window, but it'll be up in previews and diamond and comic shops in April and May, and then the first issue will come out in June. Um, and it's three issue many like Dead end Kids. One was, um, I try to keep my uh series on the smaller side, a lot of people still don't know who I am, and like comics aren't exactly cheap to buy. Um, so I try to try to keep them affordable, so like you know. I'd rather ask somebody for twelve bucks than you know fifteen or sixteen or twenty. Um, at least at least until they can trust me that like they're going to get their money's worth in the long run. Um, but uh, that'll be out in June, July, and August. Uh, and uh, just this this morning, I got the the final pages for number two, so we're we're ahead of schedule. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, Dead End Kids two is going to be out. Uh, I think it's official now uh, November December January and February that one's gonna be four issues. Um, I was plotting out the fourth issue today and it's it's massive like it, it had way more story than I could fit in in the standard size comic so um, I'm pretty excited to, to tackle that one I feel like it, since I went to four issues I wanted to make sure people still got their like their money's worth um, and that one I'm, I'm pretty excited for that too like it's it's gonna be a huge departure from Dead End Kids 1, Um, it's going to be set in 2008, so a little bit further down the line, Um, and it's got a new set of kids, sort of took a true detective uh, uh, approach to it, sort of same name, same general vibe, but a new story, Um, and this story deals with three kids who are all the children of, children or relatives of people who were, like, deeply affected by 9-11. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is another thing that i sort of pulled from my own life i grew up in new jersey directly across the bay from manhattan so like got you know 9-11 I, I was literally watching the the twin Towers burn down across the water um and i just you know it's been almost 20 years and i still think about that thing every single day so like i wanted to to sort of explore the sort of childhood trauma aspect of that you know in in this new volume but it's also a heist book like it's it's still going to be kids doing crime or kids dealing with crime, kind of in the vein of the first volume.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm excited for everything you're going to do this year. Um, And if you're listening, uh, why don't you tell everybody who's listening right now um, how they can keep up with you, where they can look for your work uh, that's already out?
0: Yeah. um, So... Uh, pretty much every book I've ever made is like at present sold out. <laughs> like, <it's just laughs> that's a, unique... a good
1: thing to say, or that's a good thing to be able to say. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's, it's like, it's, it's, it sounds awesome. It's like a uniquely unfortunate set of circumstances because it's making like going to cons really hard. Uh <laughs> Uh, But if you are interested in checking out Dead End Kids or Grief, like I have a personal stash of books that I, you know, meal out as people want them. Um, And I ran a sale back in like December for Christmas and the holidays where everything was sort of like discounted and and, like I'm so lazy. I still haven't taken the sale down. So I'm still getting like a random order like once a week. Um, So if you want to check out Dead End Kids or Grief, uh, I'm probably not going to change that selling time soon. (laughs) um but uh i've got like reader copies of dead end kids issues i've got the the trade of grief um uh, if you want to keep up with me on a a more day-to-day basis i'm on instagram i'm on twitter both my handles there are the same it's just at frank oval one word f-r-a-n-k-g-o-g-o-l um I'm on Facebook, but I don't have like a fan page or anything like that. Uh, what I generally say is if you're not crazy um, and you want to connect, you know, talk shop, if, you, if you're if you an aspiring writer, creator, and you want to ask questions, like just shoot me a friend request. Like I'm not, I won't turn anyone away for any reason other than craziness. <laughs> uh, and then uh, on every one of those social media, there's a link to a, a newsletter I do called Caption Boxes that comes out uh, every two weeks. If, if we stay on schedule, it's every two weeks. I usually miss a week here or there just because of cons or, or writing. Uh, but generally, it's every two weeks. And it's just kind of like a, a funnel for all, all the things to talk about on social media. I talk about the work. I talk about like what goes into the work. Uh, the cons I'll be at, um, things that I'm reading right now that maybe aren't on everyone's radar. I read a lot of indie stuff. So like a lot of people like the, the sort of recommendations there. Um, and the, honestly, the newsletter is the, the best way because it's, it's just like it's all the, the news and information in one spot and it's and it's an email so you can respond to it like if you have questions or you want to like you know i don't know talk i guess (laughs) so i I definitely highly highly recommend the newsletter um and then any of the other ones are fine too um like i just yeah like i said earlier i try to try to keep it real and um just be there for people to connect with in a way that i I wish other creators who are ahead of me and who i admire were when i was trying to you know do the fan thing